Being productive is obviously a good thing. Can we measure it though? Should we measure it? There's been many failed attempts, like lines of code in the past. Currently, there are new tools to measure productivity, like using Get Metrics. Nick Hodges joins the show to discuss the good and the bad of measuring developer and team productivity, including how we can improve productivity. Welcome to Test and Code. Today on Test and Code, we have Nick Hodges uh, talking about developer productivity. But before we jump in, Nick, uh, welcome to the show and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate being here. This is really fun. Uh, I'm the developer advocate at Rollbar, and uh, I'm a longtime developer, software development manager. Just uh, fairly new in the uh, developer advocacy role, and uh, really enjoying it. And uh, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So um, you came up with the the topic idea of developer productivity, but why why did why did you start caring about developer productivity? Well, uh, I was a uh, uh, developer for a long time, and of course, I wanted to be as productive as I could. And I, you know. As a developer, you can kind of know how productive you're being. You can kind of feel it. But then I became a manager, and I realized that it was one of my jobs was to make sure that my team was productive. My the developers on my team were productive, and I'm guessing that uh, that's not as easy as uh, I found out. I should say that I, it's not as easy as one thinks to figure out how productive your developers are. Uh, there's no real. There wasn't at the time anyway. Back in back in the day a real way to measure that um, you could do, you know, they tried the classic lines of code or story point completion and all that stuff. And all those were very gameable and didn't work. And uh, hmm. so I became very interested in it. I had actually about, you know, late years ago in the uh, internet time, but only 10 years ago in the calendar time, I, uh, I wrote an article called, you know, can you measure developer productivity? And I came to the conclusion that no, you cannot. And one of the reasons I came to that conclusion was a lot of uh, well-known software development writers had come to that same conclusion as well. Uh, Martin Fowler, Joel Spolsky, Scott McConnell, some of those guys just basically said, you know, at this particular juncture, we can't measure developer productivity because it's pretty much impossible to game or pretty much impossible to find something that isn't gameable. Okay. And uh, so that was my conclusion. And I came to the uh, I came to realize that somehow, some way though, I knew who my productive developers were. You know, there were, yeah. there were uh, people on the team that were very good and people on the team that were good. And then occasionally you'd run across somebody that was not good. And um, yeah. uh, so, it, and it was very obvious, strangely enough, it was pretty obvious based upon your intuition, your experience, your knowledge, the things that you could kind of observe subjectively and uh but the objective measurement of developer productivity was always very big and challenging so i got kind of interested in it and still am so is it did something change you said 10 years ago we couldn't measure it yeah um, i think i think now we can uh and the question of whether we should or not is kind of different from whether we can <laughs> But I think the advent of sort of get one the source control wars, you know, uh, 
or 10, you know, years ago, uh, Mercurio was kind of up there and so somewhat popular, but somehow get, you know, just rose to the top. And I, I think 99% of the, uh, you know, repositories out there are probably in Git these days. I think any Mercurial, we used to have our Mercurial, I used to, where I worked, had our uh, repository of Mercurial. And uh, we eventually switched over to Git just because it was hard to find people that knew Mercurial or basically yeah. if we were using Mercurial. People said, oh, you guys are behind the times, whatever. But anyway. <laughs> it's a very advanced thing, but it's kind of like a Betamax argument. It is. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But uh, so uh, Git and places like GitHub, GitLab, Bitbucket, those kind of places now provide you with this API that let you pull all kinds of really interesting information out of your uh, out of your Git repositories. And hmm. um, uh, there's a lot of information available about individual developers. There's uh, information in there about you know how often people are checking in, how long things are taking between check-in and code reviews and all kinds of really interesting information that you can garner from that you can pull from that. And I think you can, you can actually find out who is doing things, uh, how you're, how, how individuals are doing things, you know, how many pull requests they're, they're creating, how many pull requests they're closing, how frequently they do them, all those kind of things that you can measure. Now, again, if you start measuring things, usually the result, particularly with, uh, you know, knowledge workers like developers, uh, you end up with the the ability to gain that. You know, if you start measuring, you say, okay, the best developers in my organization all do X number of pull requests per week. Well, you'll get that number of pull requests per week, whether that's a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing, right? Yeah. You know, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. And then certainly, if if uh, if you start measuring developers based upon certain criteria inside of Git, that can become competitive. It can come become uh, bad for morale. Uh, it can become big brothery. You know, nobody yeah. wants to be big brother and stuff. So it's, it's an interesting question about what you can do and what you should do. Okay. Well, what should you do? Should you measure this? Well, uh, my, uh, my recommendation, the conclusion I've come to is that you should measure the team you can measure team and project measurements with uh, tools that uh, Git, you know, provides, but that uh, individuals should probably not be measured or at least not compared. Um, I've often thought it would be interesting because there's tools out there like Linear B and uh, uh, some of the other tools that, uh, um, you know, provide these this information for you as a, as a service and as a, as a product. Um, and... Um, I've often thought that while you can, you should measure the team systems, there would be a cool feature where maybe you could have just the only person who could see their individual statistics were that in, you know, the, the developer themselves, as opposed hmm. to sort of the manager. So if you were logged into the, if you were logged into say, you know, jellyfish or something like that, you could see your own stats, but nobody else could see your stats. I thought that would be kind of a cool way of doing it. But I think what happens when you, if you were to say allow individual stats to be, broadcast out to everybody you would start getting a competition or a rivalry or i'm, I'm not sure where i'm trying to think of it between developers that you don't want because you want teamwork you know yeah. development's a team sport in my view and uh 
And you don't want people saying, well, he's got more, you know, he's, he's got more pull requests or he's done more code reviews than me. I need to jump on that and start doing them. Well, you do kind of need to jump on and start doing them, but you don't want to be doing them just to get the numbers up. You want to be doing them because that's the right thing to do. And it's part of the process. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out which ones I would really care about. I'd probably want to know things like, um, when a, I don't know if you can measure this stuff though. I've never looked into it, but things like when a, when a, a pull request is opened, how long does it take before it gets reviewed by people? Um, and and yeah, that's something that can be measured. And in fact, that's an important measurement. I think for many teams, uh, monitor that exact thing, you know, try and reduce that. One of the main measures that people measure now is cycle time. Yeah. Uh, and then so one of the segments of cycle time is pull request wait time. And, uh, yeah, that's a very important statistic. Yeah. Because when I'm, when I'm in the flow, I'm, I'm, I've got a PR in, um, on both ends of it. If somebody else has a pull request that they'd like me to review, I'm like, man, I'm doing stuff. I <laughs> I'll, I'll do it later. But if I've got a PR, I want everybody to just drop what they're doing and go review it right now. Somewhere in between is good. Um, we don't want people to, to jump out of the flow if they're, uh, in the middle of something, but at the same time, having those sit around too long, it just slows stuff down. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and if you're going to provide feedback to somebody, you don't want the feedback to be uh, two days later. You know, hopefully you can get it within hours, you know. Right. Because so, their mind is still in the problem and you don't want right. to. Uh, yeah. 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 Another uh, really interesting measurement that, that these tools provide is uh, uh, PR average PR size. Because, you know, you don't want your PR, you don't want pull requests to be too small, but you don't want them too big either. And so you want, uh, as a team, you need to decide how big you want your pull requests to be. And then you want them to be kind of in that general area, in that general vicinity of, of what a perfect pull request size would be. Depends on the uh-huh. team, but, you know, you don't About want... About 4,000 lines of code changed, right? Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and every once in a while you'll have a one line change, of course. But, uh, you know, for new features in particular, you don't want to go uh, three weeks and then turn in six, you know, 60 files and 5,000 lines of code, like you said. It's not something you want to review. And then, of course, nobody will want to review that. And so it might sit around. And then there's all kinds of bad things that happen when your pull request size gets too big. So monitor yeah, pull was, request size is a real good one. I hadn't really thought about that too much before I had... I, I can't remember a recent interview where I was talking about somebody was talking about how um, of breaking down uh, large refactorings into smaller chunks. So um, if you know part of it, part of it was uh, cleaning up the code so that it was uh, compliant to a um, uh, like Pep Aid or something, right. um, uh, maybe have that be one one pull request, and then the actual changing of the behavior be another one um, to just make it to break it into the different stages so that people are easy can review it easier. And if it, if not multiple PRs at the very least uh, kind of reordering commits mm-hmm. so that the, mm-hmm. so that the PR can be uh, viewed with the different commits. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Commit size is another interesting thing to measure because you don't want your commit, you know, you don't want to be a single commit to be, you know, 50 lines of code, but you don't want to have like 51 line code commits either necessarily. <laughs> so yeah. you want to try and, you know, commit small atomic things that occur, but you don't want to be committing 
too small and you don't again don't want to be it's like you know the goldilocks right you don't want it yeah. too small you don't want your commits too big you want them just right yeah <laughs> or well like the in the pr one i or the the code cleanup one if if you're if you've got some old code that's um like not compliant to the naming standards or something like that and you're you're not doing functional changes you're just doing you know, non-functional changes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then that's easy to review tons of lines of code. You can just say, hey, I threw black on it um, and it changed everything, sure. but that that's all in one commit. Uh, there's nothing else in there. Um, pretty easy to review that. Yeah, but. yeah, fair enough. Um, well, so are there, okay, so any other interesting ones that I think that are interesting for teams? Um, the one that's hard to measure sometimes, but that I think is real important too, and it's one that, has gotten a lot of attention out there is uh, deployment time. The average time it takes from the time you commit to ma- you know to commit to the main branch, and that it actually ends up in production. However oh, long okay. that time is, and uh, there's a lot of people out there who say that should be 15 minutes or less. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, Charity Majors from Honeycomb is very famous for saying 15 minutes or bust. You know, it's just you want the time from the moment you check your code in to the time you get actually start seeing feedback from it in production uh, to be as short as possible, 15 minutes. Again, with the idea that if you start seeing problems, you still have that issue fresh in your mind. It's not something that happened four days ago or four months ago for that matter, you know, something. Right. And so if, if a problem occurs, you can uh, immediately uh, uh, fix the problem and, and, and have that, the, the code fresh in your mind the house of cards that you build up is still kind of there perhaps. And, you know, shortening that distance from keyboard to production is, is uh, really critical, I think. So uh, do these, 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 do these metrics that you're talking about sort of line up with your gut feel for productive people when you sort of compare the two? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think so. Uh, um, again, most of these measurements I'm talking, you know, these measurements I'm talking about are team measurements on average, you know, like the team doesn't necessarily, uh, individuals don't necessarily need to worry about how long it takes, say, code from keyboard to production. But as on average, as as the team does it, I think it does. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, as a, say you're a senior developer or a tech lead or even, you know, a, a non-technical manager or whatever, if you're doing code reviews, you know which people, you, you end up knowing which developers are the ones who turn in code reviews that are well done and good size, all those good things. And, and you get that gut feel just from your memory and your remembrance. But if you have numbers to back that up, particularly in terms of team averages, um, that, that can be very helpful as well. So, yeah, I think, so. go ahead. So do you think like, let's say um, uh, if a, if a manager is not actually involved in the c- code too much, do you think they should still be involved with code reviews or no probably oh, not oh. i would think not okay. um yeah uh code reviews probably should be done by fellow coders and matter of fact i'm a believer that even junior people should be doing code reviews of senior people one from the learning process and two so they can ask questions and and see you know hey why'd you do that you know why'd you do it this way uh why yeah. you know why did you choose that particular means of method of doing something and um 
And you know, a junior developer might find problems in a senior developer's code that might be a little, you know, ruffle some feathers or be a little issue of pride or whatever, but uh, that could happen. And, oh yeah, and the learning is the learning advantage is huge. Of even with the questions of like, why did why did you do that? What does this have to do with this other piece of code? Yeah. Oh well, that's that's. I mean, you can it'll find holes in the the onboarding documentation and stuff too. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, uh, one of the questions we had down was, uh, what are some drags on this? So what what causes productivity to go down? Um. Well, that's an interesting question. And it kind of gets to, in my mind, it gets to kind of what productivity is. Like a really hard bug can drag productivity down, right? If there's like a really super challenging issue that needs to be fixed and it takes you two weeks to track it down, fix it, and get it out in deployment, that, that could be a real productivity buster. But then the question becomes, is that a productivity buster? I mean, if it- Or was it just a hard problem? Was it just a hard problem? And of yeah. course, that's another reason not to measure people against each other is because sometimes people, senior developers maybe work on hard problems and the junior developers are given the easier problems to start. And then maybe that ends up balancing out over over time. But you know, if somebody's working yeah. on hard problems all the time, they're not going to seem, quote unquote, as productive as other people. Yeah. And, so, and some people, uh, I think it's like you were saying, measuring the team makes sense because... As a team, you got to have uh, this has to flow. But if 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 generally the different personalities are such that you know somebody really likes to do code reviews uh, yeah. uh, a lot and jumps on those right away, mm-hmm. great. Um, it's okay if it's one or two people that are doing uh, the the ones that are jumping on that right away. Right. So. Right. Now I've I've been in organizations where the all the code reviews were done by the technical managers, or occasionally you know, and then occasionally we. would we would we did them with this uh, sort of the technical leads, you know, the manager, not the manager per se, but the technical leads. But uh, I would encourage teams to to you know have everybody do code reviews, have everybody look in process. Um, historically, they've been sort of weekly things too. That's another thing I think that's changed a lot. They used to be say every Friday we'd review everything that happened during the week. Whereas now I think the idea is to try and review them as close to po- as possible to the check-in time. So yeah, when the pull request is created, so they happen more dynamically rather than in a planned fashion. Well, if you did it weekly, would you hold off the PR or just go back? Would you go ahead and merge it and go back and review them after the fact? Well, I think historic, you know, Back when uh, code reviews first started be happening, I think it was a weekly thing. But I think it was also at, at a time when, uh, you know, you wouldn't necessarily deploy immediately. Um, oh, you know, yeah. There would be, say, a client-server environment where you only deploy your new version, say, every quarter or you shoot every year, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I used to work at Borland where you were on the Delphi team and, you know, C++ Builder and Delphi and JBuilder, tools like that, they'd release once a year. You know, new versions would release once a year. I guess it, it ha- wasn't really that long ago when we, or maybe like you said, internet time, it was a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> years wise, not really, where code reviews were not something easy. I mean, it was, it wasn't, I mean, right now when I, when I refer to a code review, I'm thinking of the, the code review part of PRs so right. in Git, in GitLab or GitHub or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and you could just see all the changes, what changed. You could see the old and the new, and what got deleted, things like that. Um, and but I mean, it wasn't that long ago where code review meant pulling people into a room yep. and yep. throwing the code up on, like the new code up on the projector, and somebody talks through it, talks about what what's going on. Yeah, you had to go to your Git client and you know find diffs and. <laughs> Whereas now it's just all right there, like like you said, yeah. and I think that yeah. has to do with our deployment schedules. I think so much of the development we do now is SaaS based and web based that um, you can deploy multiple times a day. For you know, I mean, I think Amazon deploys a thousand or multiple thousands times a day. You know, they have people. Yeah. Okay. So so one of the things we're talking, we're in order to get to there. Um, there's the obvious need to monitor right and that's one of the places where rollbar fits in but it's if it's not rollbar it's somebody else monitoring is essential now um oh yeah so yeah uh, that's you you couldn't you couldn't deploy 15 minutes after a commit without without uh monitoring in production right correct yeah like the notion that well and and that's the cool thing i think that you can because of monitoring and uh you know when you add in the fact that, you know, you've got a lot of the code you write is running on the client side. Um, it's, uh, it's important to know right away that, uh, you can, you, you can know an error is occurring before your customer actually realizes it necessarily, or, uh, before your customer actually can get around to reporting it, you know, you can maybe even find it and fix it in a matter of minutes if you do. And that's, like I said, one, like you said, one of the things Rollbar does is report those errors, even on, from the client side, into a system that lets you see them right away. So you can be monitoring production every, you know, constantly and uh, you can associate a particular error with a particular release or a particular even a code check-in. And uh, that makes for a pretty easy way to either roll back or immediately fix a problem that you see. And uh, hopefully something that happened, you know, they, that can happen before your customer notices it. Yeah, and then there's other there's other even if you're not deploying straight from you know 15 minute to <laughs> commits to, right. to production or something, even if it is like a weekly schedule or something, a lot of people are still doing like a um, like a development server or something where mm -hmm. it, to the to the the developer it may as well be deploying uh, in 15 minutes because if you if you try to get that cycle time from commit to getting it on an integrated server. Uh, with everybody else's code, um, that's um, and and then you can you know run longer longer running tests or whatever right. metrics you need to run against it. Right. Um, that's still a good thing, even if you're not going all the way. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, anytime you can get feedback on what you've recently checked in as quickly as possible, that's really really good. You know, if you can get 15 minute feedback, you're you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna. I mean, it, it helps prevent technical debt it helps reduce bug fixing time there's all kinds of goodness that happens when you're when you're getting feedback very quickly i'm like suddenly super jealous because <laughs> i still got c plus plus code in it oh yeah and and it takes 15 minutes to build the thing so <laughs> um indeed it does but, yeah <laughs> 15 minutes is yeah. probably good to, probably fast yeah yeah, it's a different. It's a cool project uh, to get down to fifteen minute compiles um, and and test suites and stuff, of physical stuff. But you know, the web and microservices and stuff are mm -hmm. a different beast than oh, uh, yeah. per 
programming devices. Very different. Absolutely. But yeah. But uh but all all similar sorts of things, even even if it's a different scale, getting um uh bring these numbers down is a good thing. Um so where okay, so we talked about um uh monitoring, but are there other uh, there are other ways to uh i guess how how do i what the question is where are the biggest gains but how how can we increase productivity i guess well that's a that's an interesting question as well um i think that uh productivity can happen when uh people are working on things that they want to work on uh when they're uh, feeling uh you know empowered to make their own decisions about how to do things I think uh, if they uh, can feel like they're growing and improving their skills and mastering what their trade. Um, um, and then, you know, if they feel like they uh, have a reason for doing what they're doing, they're contributing to the company. I think all those things, you know, general morale issues really are the thing that make people more productive. And of course, training and learning and, and mentoring and all those things can help make a junior developer into a, a senior developer. And, uh, 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 you know, I think that, uh, that those are the kinds of things that I think a manager can really work on. And then there's the other more practical side, like making sure they have a very fast computer. Um, I, I've never understood the hesitancy to not get a uh, developer the <laughs> fastest computer because it pays for itself, right? I mean, it, you're talking about 15-minute compile times. Think if, you know, you could get a faster computer and that could come down to, you know, 10 minutes and you compile five times a day, that's half an hour a day times what, 200 days a year. That's a hundred man hours. That's hundred person hours. That's a, what a week's worth of productivity right there just by buying somebody with a new computer. So yeah, that's like the cheapest win a company can do oh, is I know, yeah. upgrading software. Um, larger screens, man. Um, yeah, absolutely. All those things, a good keyboard, comfortable desk, you know, making people feel, feel, uh, we're, you know, uh, like, like they're valuable, you know, by, just by the hardware you buy. And those are, those are just fractions of what a developer salary is also oh, yeah, just so. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you look at an hourly wage for a developer, it's, if it saves them an hour a day, I mean, that's a big win. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. Especially multiplying it over every five days a week. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, two. 200, 200 work days a year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, one of the things around productivity, if we talk about productivity, is uh, how that how that incorporates into performance reviews. Yeah. Um, got any thoughts around that? I do. I'm not a big fan of the performance review. <laughs> um, you know, I I've seen performance reviews of developers where it all comes down to like measuring number, you know, um, and uh, measuring certain things people you know, like I mentioned earlier, the classic lines of code or any, any type of specific number that you want to measure. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a, and then, you know, there's been like Microsoft used to do stack ranking and they, you know, GE is famous for firing their bottom 10% every year, which seems kind of insane to me, but after a while, I mean, I, maybe for the first few years that would work, you know, but after a while you've got some cream yeah, good people. people left yeah. and then you're going to go fire. I don't know. Anyway, um, but performance reviews, I think, uh, the more general they can be, the better. Uh, one of the best places I ever, saw, uh, ever worked at had a performance review where 
they'd, each quarter you'd list three. You would list three things you accomplished. Your manager would list three things that they thought you could work on. And then you'd get ranked either in the top 90 percent, the uh, 90 to 95 percentile, which was uh, you basically would put you on a performance improvement program at that point. And then if you got ranked in the zero to 5% or whatever, or 90, you know, the bottom 5%, uh, they basically said, you know, go grab your stuff. And <laughs> 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 But, you know, the notion that uh, we're going to give a letter grade or some type of very specific number to developers in particular, I think, is, is, is challenging and dangerous and challenging in that I think it's hard to do. Um, in a okay. sub, in an objective manner, but I think well, it's dangerous because you can, you know, you can cause people to leave. You can cause morale. You can cause attrition. There's all kinds of things that can happen if somebody's, you know, given a 77 and they thought they were an 85 or whatever, you know? Yeah. Numbers are weird. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there's also stuff like, um, I don't know, just, and I, I don't know how th this sort of relates to productivity, but this is one of those gut feel sort of things. Mm -hmm. But also I know you like, there's some people that if you give them something, it's going to get done and it's going to get done quickly. Sure. And, right. and then other people that, and, and if they can't get it done quickly, they'll come back and they'll search for answers and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And there's other people that, you know, the same thing, if you give them to them, it's just going to take a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that may or may not be a good thing. If, if they're also an attention to detail sort of person, that might be the prime thing for some tasks, sure. but exactly. Right. Um, but there's, there's that, there, there's that happens. And so uh, I guess let's not get around, uh, uh, performance reviews, but, um, if, if we don't tie these metrics into performance reviews, what are we doing for? What are we, uh, what are we using these metrics for at all? Is it for looking for problems? Is it is it for um, what? Well, if you measure the team metrics, yeah, it's sort of a continuous looking for problems. If your pull request size starts rising, you can go back to the team and say, hey, you know, guys, we need to start shrinking our pull request. Not a lot, but, you know, it's starting to get above what we want. Um, I guess for me, performance reviews, maybe I'm weird. I, I was never, I'm never motivated by them. Um, I've heard, <laughs> that's not like, and then, the other thing too is, you know, you don't want to wait till a performance review to let a, let a person, let a developer know how they're doing. Um, you want to let them know right away. And then if you've let them know throughout the year, Hey, you're doing a great job. I rely on you. I always know you're going to come through. Or if you've been counseling a developer who maybe isn't doing that great, um, a performance review seems redundant to me. Um, yeah. I, I sometimes get the feeling that performance reviews are driven by HR you know, that they want to have a number for everybody. They want to have a letter grade for everybody, whatever. Um, that may be part of it. Um, but, uh, I, if somebody wants it, like some people, I like, I, I, like I said, I'm not somebody who is really into getting a performance review. It doesn't, you know, as long as, as long as you're not firing me, I'm, I'm doing, you know, and you think I'm doing a good job. I'm okay. And you'll let me know that throughout the year. I'm fine. I don't need the performance review. Some people like them and, Maybe the policy could hmm. be that uh, if you like the like a performance review, I'll give you one. <laughs> if you don't want one, I won't. <laughs> I guess for me as a as a, uh, a software manager mm -hmm. uh, as well, 
Um, the only the only positive side I think of performance reviews is is that because I will have them, I have to think about them throughout the year. Yeah. I guess if I if I didn't have to do performance reviews, I might not be pay, paying attention to what somebody's doing good, what somebody's doing bad. Keeping track I, of it, yeah, yeah, trying to keep track of it. Whether or not keeping track of it's a good thing. But I think that is important for you to say. It wasn't really the topic of the podcast, but just <laughs> um, it should be more real time, just like the cycle time. It's just just like sure. we're trying to get uh, code faster. Um, good things and bad things should be visible to that feedback should go back to the developer as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, you don't want to, you never want a performance review if you're doing them to be a, a surprise. Never. That should, yeah. not, nobody should ever come into their performance review and go, holy mackerel, what am I, what are you, <laughs> I, really? I also, you know, I also know that there's a, there's a legal standpoint of if there were problems, it's helpful for a, a, a company to have written evidence that yeah. there's, that problems have been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so that if they have to let somebody go, they don't, um, yeah, that's a nice euphemism too, isn't it? Let somebody go, as if it's Let their decision yeah. to leave. <laughs> we'll, we'll allow you to go. Yeah. We'll allow you to leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, you could stay, but we're not going to pay you anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and actually, you can't stay because we're taking your badge. But right. you can hang out in the parking lot if you want. Yeah, you can, uh, you can still connect to the Wi-Fi out in the parking lot. Oh, wait, we canceled your Wi-Fi account. Okay. Uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I've never really thought about... Uh, um, so when you brought up the topic of developer productivity, I kind of cringed. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I want to talk about that because yeah. it brings up the whole lines of code thing. Yep. Oh, yeah. But... But utilizing some of these things to just even talk with the team about to go, you know, let pick a handful of them to measure, or just find out what's easy to measure, mm-hmm. and talk to the team even and say, what should we measure? What should we look at as a team? Right. Um, uh, and or just pick a few that you think are important, and then bring it back and say, this is interesting. Our our uh, most of our code reviews get get looked at like pretty quickly mm-hmm. like within a day or something but is a day too long uh do do you want to try to you know how right. do people feel about that yeah. um that's what happened that's the kind of thing that can happen when you're measuring things as a team and that you know the team can take responsibility for that and no individuals called out and nobody's getting in trouble because they were working on that very challenging difficult bug and it took too long and all of a sudden the, the chart doesn't look right and then, <laughs> yeah, you know, the VP of engineering who hasn't written a code, you know, line of code in their lives says, well, you know, why is, why is Sarah's taking so long to fix that bug? Well, it's a hard bug, you know, that kind of thing. You don't want those individual things called out or pointed out. Yeah. I remember when, uh, there was a, a group I was on, not the group I'm on now, a, a different company, um, where we were trying to get unit test numbers up mm-hmm. to try to, which is, you know, if you're measuring something, there's a way to game it. So, um, uh, and things were user test numbers went up. Um, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yep. Yep. Unit test numbers go up and we were measuring it and it's a nice, it's, well, we had, you know, uh, we had a way to measure it and, uh, and, and we were, we were testing more, which is a good thing, Mm -hmm. but we're, they were liking to see those graphs go up. Um, and then, 
you know, then we, we noticed that there was a, at one point there was a refactor done to a, a, a test, a test file. And instead of, instead of doing it with version control, it was copied to another name oh. and, and then modified uh, to a different algorithm. And then, you know, we were also, sometimes that's a good thing. You're comparing it in mm-hmm. production to see uh, if they're still operating the same. And then it got left there. And so there was a big jump. And then it got noticed, like, oh, this is duplicate test. It's just taking an extra five minutes for no reason. Let's delete this because it's redundant. Now the the graph drops. Oh. Suddenly we lost 50 tests. Um, yeah. So managers got upset and said, you know, what is going on? Why are we reducing test coverage? We're not. We just had, okay, this right. this is silly that we, we have to do this explaining. But, yes, right. this happened. Yes. <laughs> That's exactly right. Like, you know, the the notion that sometimes the best thing you can do is delete a hundred lines of code, right? Yeah. That that reduce a hundred lines of code down to ten. That might be the greatest thing. You know, that might even be a big win. Yeah, and um, I guess <laughs> I'm, but I'm glad that we weren't measuring test time. I mean, we probably should because, uh, you know, a test suite should be fast, also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But. But it's really fast if you put no ops in all the test functions and don't assert on anything. Uh, <laughs> test count goes up, speed goes down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason for this stuff to be there. But yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to do common sense. Absolutely. But um, did uh, any other uh, topics around productivity that we want to cover? Yeah, actually, there was something interesting. I, I put a, a poll up on my link up on my LinkedIn uh, site, you know, my LinkedIn account, the other profile. Yeah. And I uh, asked the question, do you want to, do you prefer a developer who um, uh, would be really, really slow, but wrote almost no bugs or somebody who is maybe say average time and wrote average bugs. In other words, is there any advantage to somebody who maybe takes twice as long to do something, but, doesn't but makes it almost impossible to find bugs in their code hmm. and interestingly most people wanted that second one and uh i thought which one's the second one the second the... I'm sorry the second one was slow but but very very high quality code okay Versus interesting sort of an average developer or a, a you know good developer who does things fairly quickly but you know there's there's bugs in their code and this actually yeah. stemmed out of a very real life situation that I had back in Borland. I had a developer on the JBuilder team who was notorious for this. He was very slow, but I mean, his downstream costs were very, very minimal because it was like a badge of honor for QA to find a bug in his code before, you know, <laughs> you know, like, holy crap, you found a bug in Bill's code. Are you kidding me? How'd you do that? <laughs> what? Show everybody, you know, <laughs> but he, but he would take, you know, probably two twice as long to finish a project. Now, in the environment of shipping once a year, that's probably okay, right? Because then you got time to, you know, you 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 don't have to, you know, I, I use the, I wrote a blog about it actually. And I, I use the example of say a project takes, uh, takes a person one week and they're, they find three bugs and uh, in, in, but it's those bugs are f- reported very quickly because we test, you know, you've got the production reporting bugs like a tool like Rollbar, if I may. Yeah. And uh, 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 they get those bugs fixed 
and in three days. And so they've used a total of eight working days to create a new feature. Whereas, you know, the, the slower, faster, slower quality guy writes the person, writes the uh, uh, feature in two weeks and there's no bugs. Well, who was faster? You know, that, that, that kind of is an interesting productivity yeah. question. And uh, maybe in this day and age, the person who writes high quality code isn't as valuable as the person who writes good quality code, but can very quickly find the errors in their, in their code and fix them. It's just something to think about. I don't know in terms of, you know, the real productivity of a developer. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we've, we've got, uh, it is interesting. The different styles. I don't think you could compare the two really. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, if somebody's writing good quality code, it's hard to argue against that ultimately. So, and except for if it takes like three times as long three or four times, times as yeah, long. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, I was also, it used to be more real. I mean, I guess without, without, uh, quick systematic testing mm -hmm. uh that's pretty thorough um and also uh you know system level testing and testing in production things like that um if you if you can't do that then there's definitely uh, there's definitely wins on, on the quality side oh yeah yeah um um and it used to be i, I guess uh, utilizing that um we we still had issues back then mm -hmm. of having people uh get frustrated uh with with slower people mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. because they were you know I'm, I'm doing this stuff putting this out really quickly what's what's going on with you yeah but if you take a look at your code there's a <laughs> it's a there's got a bunch of bugs in it and just because we don't have the test suite to catch them we'll catch them later uh right. and right. or hopefully we'll catch them later um and people you would just wouldn't test that i mean we would we'd measure things it like you said it also depends on what you're measuring um, if you measure uh, when we have the ability to just throw it over the wall to QA and debugging and uh, and polishing it isn't counted against the time it took you to develop the feature. The time the time to develop the feature is really just looking at how fast did you push it to the next team. Right. Um, then you're going to, you, why do quality code? Just push it to the next team as soon as you have an idea down. Correct. Um, I used, I was a kind of a brat about this sometimes. And I would sometimes say, um, well, all the features are finished except for none of them work. Um, <laughs> and we're, we're now in the debug phase. So or we better get right in code because we're going to have a lot of bugs to fix. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, or it's, it's just got one defect that it's not implemented yet. Yeah. Um, that's it's only deep. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah I like that. Old school stuff so. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think that there's things are changing, you know, like, because, uh, the, you know, the quick turnaround times just have changed the way things work. Observability has just changed the way code works. Right. I can remember being on beta tests of software packages back, you know, in 20 years ago when people would write the code and, and the QA people would test it, but then it, it would hit, it would hit the beta testers and beta testers, we would find bugs. And now the time from the point when the code was written till the bug was reported is measured in weeks or months. And that's just not, that's costly. You know, the farther away, yeah. the farther away a bug is found from the time it was written is 
is more, you know, the more costly it gets. Well, like I said, if, if uh, you're fine, if you're doing, turning them around and finding those bugs in 15, 20 minutes, well, that reduces that cost quite drastically. Yeah. And one of the benefits that we don't really talk about um, and cost savings of finding things quickly and getting it to production quickly is the, um, is kind of like the snowball effect of what happens to code. Mm-hmm. So um, even if you know exactly, even an easy to fix bug today is going to be, might be hard a month from now or two months from now, because mm-hmm. you're going to build architecture on top of that feature. And now if you want to yank that feature or move it to a different, you know, re- refactor it, move it to change it completely right. because it was buggy. Um, you, now you have to change all the dependency parts of it mm-hmm. and everything. Whereas finding it quickly uh, is beneficial. Yep. Absolutely. Um, also it's changed the, how we test because um, like, like that, even that term beta tester. Oh yeah. I, uh, we don't, I mean, companies just guess what? We're all beta testers. They'll just segment. <laughs> yeah. You didn't, you didn't think you volunteered, but you did. Yes. Um, with, with like percentage deployments and stuff, people, you know, uh, deploy a feature to 1% of the population and, oh, yeah. Yeah. and monitor to see if it's going, you know, getting slower for them or if anybody complains yeah feature Uh, flags are a great invention i mean that's just a really powerful tool oh yeah feature flags because people can you can uh in production uh put a feature in and out um so if you yeah i guess do people use feature flags for uh percentage deployments as well or i don't know i when i think of feature flags i generally think of a SaaS, you know web 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 application deployment or mobile. Um, but I don't see any reason why you couldn't for a more traditional client server type application or just desktop application. You could, I suppose. I don't know. I suppose you have to have an internet connection, but. Yeah. But I mean, like uh, when people say, uh, you know, like 10% of the people coming in get one view, oh, like A-B testing A-B sort test- of thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. But so A-B testing with features. Um, so. Yeah, that, yeah. I think that happens. Yeah. You, you may deploy it. I think you can, I mean, I know you can deploy to specific customers. You can deploy to a certain percentage of people. I think you can do all that. Yeah. And I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're all beta testers. Uh, <laughs> so all beta testers now. Yeah. Heck, I uh, there's wh- people that even know what beta testing is. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. I guess some of the... Some of the newer newer folks out there, earlier career folks, might never even heard that term so much anymore. I don't know if it's even used that popularly. So yeah, we 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 have changed the term. So um, if if I guess we still have it, but we call it early access program. Oh, there you go. Yeah, a nice euphemism uh, for beta testers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It sounds better. <laughs> that sounds like ooh, it's micro- early access. That sounds like a Microsoftism if there ever was one. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've seen it from a lot of companies. Yeah, so. they started it though. I think that was the original one. Huh. Uh, I sure appreciated it with even book writing. So, uh, yeah. and that wasn't possible, uh, you know, a decade ago, no. but, uh, uh, both, both editions of the PyTest book I put out, we had uh, beta readers. So we would had, when we'd have like about half the book written or completed and edited, um, release it to uh, beta readers, and it's just a just somebody you can buy the book early. How would you do that? What did you uh, have a platform for that? Or yeah, so uh, Pragmatic has a platform for it. So we we would release um, 
uh, I, I forget what we had. So it's a 16 chapter book. I think we had nine chapters when we released to everybody or eight or nine. Um, and then, uh, people can read it. Um, it's an ebook at that point. It's not a physical right, book. Right. Um, but, uh, and then we had a, like basically a, um, a rata page where people could, uh, log in and say, Hey, on page like 43, there's a typo or something. Yeah. Um, and then we could, uh, uh, fix those as we go or people could say yeah this is totally confusing um you know i might have to you yeah, know, that's rewrite really, that's a powerful chunks. that's a powerful thing yeah more eyeballs on a on a book in particular i've written a few books over the years and uh, the more eyeballs you can get on it the better yeah absolutely yeah and the, just the ease with ebooks and ebook readers we, we would um the i guess the the some really great feedback i got was from um uh sending it out to experts in the field. So we'd pick mm-hmm. like maybe eight or 10 people that really know what they're doing and send them out. And if they've got time, they can review parts. Sure. And it, it also focused with me. So like with code reviews, uh, it's good to have a checklist of what you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Of like, well, hey, I'm looking for, you're looking for, does it actually function? Um, you're not looking for, is it implemented exactly how you would? Because that's not fair. Right. Um, um, similar to books, I would, um, be, I picked different people for different reasons. So like th- there was somebody that was, a uh, a teacher. So I said, could you look at the, the, the questions that I ask at the end of the chapter and oh, see yeah, how, yeah. how, how, how good those are. Um, and then other people that were more experts in the tool itself, I would say, yeah, can, can you make sure I didn't screw something up? <laughs> um, uh, but, but then, so getting feedback from them and then from the beta readers, it was extra work of course, but in the end we got a more solid book and mm-hmm. uh, books are more similar to a traditional, how software used to be written, Sure. Yeah. um, Good point. where you, you give it to a few people, then you give it to a few more people and you have testers and, and at, at some point you have to say it's done and release it. Right. Um, there's, I mean, you can do second, you can do second printings to fix some things, but. Uh, things like that but mm-hmm. anyway it's changed a lot plus man being able to just use version control for uh, <laughs> like software version control to write a book it was oh, great yeah that was that's that's really neat absolutely um, it's just but, text right so it's yeah yeah um anyway so it was uh fun talking with you about yeah, productivity thank you very much yeah it gave me a lot to think about now i'm gonna have to go look at look at some of these uh features all so, right cool very good Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Nick. Interesting discussion and a lot to think about. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You keep me motivated. Seriously. Thank you. Become a supporter by visiting testingcode.com support. Every dollar helps. If you found this episode interesting or useful, please share it. Tweet about it. Tell a friend. Share with a coworker. Help the show grow by one. Thanks for listening. Now go out and try to have fun coding.